Welcome to Green Apple Pod, for people who want to think about education a little bit differently. I'm Jessica Enderlin Natsum, a public school teacher and PhD candidate in education policy. I've spent nearly a decade observing and investigating how to make education the thing that's going to make our whole society happier and healthier. Now, I'm fighting to make that our reality. Are you new here? If so, I'm glad you're here. But just so you know, this series makes way more sense if you listen to the episodes in order. You can find the first episode, COVID and Teacher Retention, and get started there to get the full story. We'll be right here waiting for you when you get back. In our special series, School Matters, we're looking at the toll the pandemic is taking on teachers. As we've been reporting, teachers in the nation's largest school district in New York City are adjusting today to all remote learning. A survey of teachers nationwide finds 28% say they've considered retiring early or leaving the profession due to stress and health concerns. This comes when there's already a shortage of qualified teachers. Two months into school and you won't find many teachers settling into their typical fall rhythms. Instead, some feel as stressed as the first days of school. Rutgers University is working with 10 districts around the state to address what some are calling teacher burnout. As you can hear, teaching isn't getting any less stressful lately. Even before COVID-19, many teachers were stressed, they were burnt out, they were contemplating leaving their jobs over the emotional toll that teaching took on them every single day. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has now made that problem even worse. Now we're struggling to get our students back on track to where they were before the pandemic and dealing with an aftermath of up to 15 months of remote schooling, all while being isolated from our coworkers to prevent outbreaks. Long story short, teachers are getting more and more worn down. As Greg, Sarah, and Sydney all shared in our last episode, teachers are getting very overwhelmed, they're dealing with compassion fatigue, and there aren't a lot of new ones coming in to replace the ones who are leaving, which is creating a widening vortex of problems for those who are still in the classroom. I need to notify you that one of the interviews today discusses physical violence, sexual assault, and verbal aggression, so some listeners may need to use discretion. If you need to know exactly when to skip ahead, we have some notes in the episode description to tell you the exact time marks to skip. While I wish this episode could bring something lighter, unfortunately, we're not completely out of the woods on this topic. Burnout isn't just being overwhelmed with the workload or burdened by compassion fatigue. The emotional stress of teaching isn't just from watching what our kids go through or from struggling to manage and lead a classroom. Sometimes that stress and trauma is even more direct. And it's not as rare as some of us might expect. In fact, a recent report by the American Psychological Association reported that six out of every 10 teachers experienced physical or verbal aggression in some form during COVID-19. This is a very alarming figure. And it could be a major indicator to the levels of stress and anxiety that are permeating our schools. One member of the APA, specifically their chair on the Task Force for Violence Against School Personnel, Sarah McMahon, stated the results are showing very high levels of stress in schools and that there are, quote, social emotional issues that interfere with teaching and learning. Basically, everyone, students and staff included, are stressed out, 
lashing out, and it's taking a serious toll to the point where it's also affecting learning. I mean, how well can you learn when you are this stressed out? The report, like many others released recently, also found that a pretty large number of teachers are thinking about quitting. According to theirs, 43% of teachers stated they want to quit the job. Now, whether or not if they actually do is up in the air, but realistically, it's extremely concerning, especially since we know that teachers who are thinking of quitting typically aren't going to do as well in the classroom as those who aren't thinking of quitting. Now, one former teacher who has seen this firsthand and who ended up leaving the classroom as a result of it is Jessa. But Jessa didn't start teaching with a gloomy black cloud of difficulty in the classroom. She says, yeah, the first year was hard, it was challenging, but her kids were great. In fact, her kids made everything worth it. Yeah, it was, it's kind of hilarious. I tell people all the time, like my, within my first couple of weeks of school, as it, I'm in the classroom and um, I caught my reflection in one of those like really big TVs. They had those really huge TVs that didn't work. And so I walked past and I saw myself and I thought, who let me in here to do this? Like, I've just graduated from college. I have two months of training under my belt. And I remember thinking I had just learned that your brain doesn't develop fully until you're 25. And so I was like, I am 22 years old. Like, my brain is not even fully (laughs) developed. And they've let me in here to teach the youth of America. Like, what are they thinking? So it was definitely overwhelming. Uh, It was really exciting at the same time. I had ninth graders predominantly throughout the day and they were brand new to high school, even though it was a really small school. And so they knew where everything was and that wasn't intimidating. I think we really connected for whatever reason, my personality, the class's personality, we instantly connected and that just made that year. So I remember just being so excited as hard as it was and as overwhelming. I was so excited to come to school every day because I had these really fantastic students that I couldn't wait to spend time with. Jessa started her first year teaching like many teachers. She was hopeful. She was excited. She was challenged. But overall, she loved it. And she loved it because of her strong relationships with her kids. For context, Jessa actually worked in a school that I used to work at. Lee High School in Mariana, Arkansas has an amazing, wonderful, super group of kids. And Jessa was their favorite, hands down. But Jessa, like many new teachers in that school, wasn't from the area. She was a white woman from Appalachia, now teaching in an extremely under-resourced school with a 99% African-American population. It was a massive adjustment but she worked hard, she built the foundation for strong relationships, and she was very quickly accepted into their community. Can you tell us what some of the challenges were when you were teaching, say, at your first teaching job? Oh, sure. Um, I had no uh, classroom management. None. Absolutely none. I was very fortunate. Fights did not break out of my class. I think one almost did, and I just threw everybody's stuff in the hall, and I was like, out there. We're not doing this in the classroom. Um, <laughs> But there was no, I had just no control whatsoever. So basically, I taught when they wanted to learn, not so much every day. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a huge, huge challenge in the classroom. So I think, so the, an important thing to note about where I taught in Arkansas is that coming in, it was a challenge as a white woman because Mm -hmm. it was predominantly an African American community. So there was an understandable distrust of me, not only because of the way I look, but because I was a part of Teach for America, which is a 
big turnover organizations. And up until probably April of my first year teaching, um, I really didn't feel like I'd been accepted um, in the school community. But in April, I planned prom. I don't even know how that happened. I can't even remember what happened. But like through a series of events, Oh my gosh, your first year and you planned prom, like the biggest school event, especially in those small communities. Right, and I had huge, huge amounts of help. I mean, the parents were just like, they came to my aid, like you would not believe, and just like everybody. It didn't matter what grade their kid was in, they were there and they were helping because it was a very tight-knit community and they were they were very supportive of each other. And it's like very, very much a, it takes a village kind of community. So that happened and all of a sudden they were like okay like she's okay jessa spent two years teaching in arkansas before she moved back home to her home state of virginia it wasn't the students or the community or anything that they had done that made her leave but there also wasn't anything they could do about it she missed her family she wanted to be closer to them and she couldn't keep paying to drive 14 hours once a month to go and drive home So she headed back shortly after she found a job at another school that was actually not very far from when she had graduated from college. She went from teaching in a school that was 99% black, with only 800 students in the entire district, to another rural town in Appalachia. But things were very, very different in this school from the get-go. It was in a a fairly large county um, with lots of land, very sprawling county. It takes like an hour to get from one side to the other, so huge county but there was only one high school. So even though it very much had that small town feel, because it was, right? Everybody's really spread out, lots of farming, like farming families and things like that. Um, But this one high school was huge, like 2,500 students in this one high school. And it was set up like a college almost because there were campuses and kids were like, so, and everyone was very friendly. So I, I get started. My mentor teacher was super helpful. I had a, a co-teacher. I taught inclusion. And so I had a co, I continue to teach high school English, I should say. So my, this, there was a sped teacher in the classroom and we just like hit it off. Super close. We're still friends. Um, but from the outside, I was like, this is going to be amazing. This is great. I'm so excited. Jessa was extremely excited to start her third year close to home. She had a great co-teacher. Everything seemed like it was lining up. But as the year kicked off, she realized very quickly that everything was not exactly what she had anticipated. I really, I don't know what to say. I can say that there was a lot of entitlement in that school. And there was some, there were, there definitely were and continue to be very prejudiced attitudes in that community and in that school, prejudiced towards people of um, color, prejudiced towards people that um, identify the LGBTQIA community, just these prejudices outside of if you are not white, straight, Christian, then you're not going to fit in. And almost beyond that, it's Methodist, right? If you're not, like, we can almost go a little bit more, you know, filtered down from there. So it felt cold, I think is a great way that I could describe it. The relationship that I had with my students, I had very few meaningful relationships with my students, which felt so hurtful. It it was like I was missing something in my heart, right? So my my kids in Arkansas, we had this great relationship and I loved them and I still love them like my own. Like I love to see what they're doing. And I had these kids who I thought there's just nothing here. This is cold. Mm-hmm. Um, the only students I formed relationships with, I, again, I had a creative writing class. 
Um, and then a, a couple of ninth graders who we just hit it off. Um, it was those relationships just weren't there. Jessa had thrived in her first few years in the classroom thanks to her strong relationships with her students. In her new school, she didn't have the same experience despite blending in better with this new population of students. If anything, her experiences in her first school had opened her eyes to new ways of thinking, to having empathy, and putting equity at the forefront of her teaching practice. Now, in a new school without a progressive support system, she wasn't really sure what to make of it. That is so strange because it's kind of, I'm kind of drawing on the difference here between that school and where you started in Arkansas. Because in Arkansas, I know you said you had to like fight to, not fight, that's the wrong word, but you had to work to be accepted, to be a part, at least by the whole community. So in Arkansas, like you got, you hit it off with the kids really well. I think you, I know you had great relationships with them, all of those things. Um, pretty much just by walking in the door and being yourself. That was all they wanted was, and I remember that from working there, it was like, if you put on a front or you do this whole, don't laugh until Christmas, they're going to eat you alive. But if you just show up and you were you and you were your authentic self, they were like, yes, that's what I want. That's what I crave. But that's so strange to then go into another place that's so similar to where you actually grew up and so close to where you grew up. And then to have this, isolation do you think that would have happened if you hadn't taught in Mariana first if you had like started there or do you think it was just the community and it just didn't fit with like your identity or what do you think of that no I think you're exactly right I think if I would have gone straight because the the county that I taught in is where I did my undergrad so I felt that's why I was really excited to teach there because I loved uh, undergrad I loved the community I loved being a part of it it was great uh, the, but I think what people don't realize is that when you are on a college campus, you are getting a very different idea of what the community at large is like. So that was the first thing. That was the first wake up call is that this is nothing like, you know, my college experience. This is nothing like that at all. But also having the experience of going somewhere that was so different from where I grew up. And being faced with, I think, the realities of our country and the oppression and the, like, just inequality and the just racism that exists, like, systemically, right, throughout our every facet of our country. And so being faced with that, and I'm very honest that I didn't realize that racism was an issue until I was 22 years old and I moved to Mariana. Because I grew up in a white, white community went to college and there was some diversity at at my school, but it was very like, it tended, people tended to self-segregate just very honestly, people tended to self-segregate. And so when I got to Marianne and I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, this is horrible. And I really began to say something to have those hard conversations with family members or to, you know, do whatever to try to just kind of bring awareness and attention because I realized as I'm like, even on social media platforms, there are people at home who I know for a fact are, are currently as ignorant as I was prior to my experience in Arkansas. That changed me forever, of course. And coming back to a place that was so similar to where I grew up, I would listen to people talk and I would maybe say something to them or very honestly there were times when I thought if I say something will I be othered will I be outwardly othered so internally I felt very othered but outwardly 
I look like I fit in, right? So I look the same if I'm quiet. And upon reflection, you get out of that situation and you realize that encourage the problem, right? That when you're silent, you're co-signing. Jessa realized very quickly that her experience in Mariana in a school that was majority black and majority low income had given her a very, very different perspective on life that made it very difficult for her to feel comfortable with things that were happening in her new school. While this isn't specific to burnout or stress like I've highlighted before, it was still an emotional and confusing experience for Jessa while she struggled to form new relationships with her new students. I asked Jessa for some examples of what this conflict might have looked like, and this is how she described it. So you're listening to teachers say things like the um, Confederate flag, very popular item at this particular school, very popular. And I remember the first couple weeks, there was a kid who came in every day with this Confederate hoodie. It was the whole hoodie. And like, it was a lot. It was a lot going on. And I talked to my co-teacher. I was like, yeah, I'm really uncomfortable because there are students in the classroom who may look at this as a threat to their safety. They may not feel safe in this classroom. And she said, the district will not do anything. We've had people try to fight this and say, we shouldn't allow students to wear this, wear the Confederate flag or have it on their trucks or whatever, all the places that people put it. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. This kid, because he wants to wear this one thing, like, and I'm very aware that that could have been his only hoodie. I would have happily purchased him a different one, happily got him a different jacket or a different shirt, a different hat. Like I'm that teacher. I'm happy to help you out if you need it. That's not a problem. And I know that I was certainly not the only one at that school willing to do that, but it just blew my mind. And no change was made at that school until the summer of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd and the protests and just, people finally saying enough is enough. We're not going to allow this. And when places started being called out on their racism, all of a sudden the school board was like, yeah, this isn't right. We're going to, we're going to stand on the side of justice. We're going to not allow this. And I was like, what a joke. What a joke. To give kind of insight into this community, two of the police officers for the county or the town, I can't remember, were arrested because they were at the Capitol riot. So if anything, the school board saying, oh, we're not going to have this. That was just image just because, yeah. oh, it would have looked bad. Goodness. I mean, and those are just like very, just a few examples, if that makes yeah. sense. Like definitely just a few examples. Jessa has reflected on her experience in the school, and she knows that if she hadn't worked in Mariana, she probably wouldn't have noticed things like the Confederate flag. But she had some perspective, and she did notice now, and she worried about the impact it had on her students. This didn't just combine with her difficulty to bond with her students, but it amplified it as she struggled to form relationships with her colleagues who didn't share the same values. Jessa was beginning to feel isolated, which made her next experience even more horrible. I've shared with you before, and I'll share again, because I I know that I'm not the only teacher who has experienced sexual assault at the hands of a student. I know that I'm not. And so to know that, to know that, right? To know that I'm not the only one. But you don't hear about that. You just don't hear about that. We want to be scandalized when you find out that some high school history teacher has had an affair with a senior or a junior and you're scandalized because it's horrific because there was an abuse of power. 
and there's, you know, the child is, has been victimized by this adult and it's horrific. We never hear how teachers, there are teachers scared in their own classrooms at the hands of their students, which is exactly what happened to me. Jessa was sexually assaulted in the fall of 2018. What's more, when she told her administrator what had happened, nothing was done to protect her or to prevent the student from doing it again. This happened towards the end of my very first semester at this school, and it was traumatizing. It was horrible because I walked past a student, he grabbed my butt, and I told, I told an administrator, and she said, go get him and bring him back. So now I've been told by an administrator that I have to go get the person who has sexually assaulted me and bring him to, by myself, bring him to you. No. So I had my co-teacher walk him, and he said, it was an accident. I just bumped into her. I have been a teacher. Anybody who's been a teacher for a month knows you get bumped into. It happens. The desks are very close together. That happens. And the look of horror on a child's face when they accidentally think they might have bumped a teacher's butt is just like you can see that they are just mortified. You know immediately the difference. Like It's your body. You know when someone has grabbed you intentionally versus an accidental bump, okay? And they believe the student. So I said, look, if you're not going to do anything because they told me, um, you didn't write this up. You didn't put pen to paper on this child. You did not write him up. Nothing can be done. And so they sent him back to your class after that. And we're just like, all right, business as usual. Just since it wasn't on paper, it didn't happen, apparently. Exactly. And so I went to my personal, the evaluator right over me. So I went to my administrator after the fact. And I said, listen, um, maybe I've done something wrong in the process. There are three school days left in this semester, and then the classes are over for the semester, and we'll get new classes, new kids in January. Please keep him out of my class, just my class. And that was not that was not done. Um, so he was in my class, and he and another gentleman for the rest of that school year, anytime they saw me in the hallway, would go out of their way to speak to me. Hey, Miss King. Hey, Miss King. How are you? And it, it's enough, like, I just remember, like, looking back now, it makes me furious, but I remember just wanting to crawl into a hole. Like, if I could have disappeared into a crack in the floor, I would have. And I get into January thinking, great, those kids are out of my class, fresh start. And there's a group of boys who very obviously would say things about my co-teacher and I, but like kids are going to talk. Like you teach high school, you teach ninth grade boys. Like they say stuff, they say hateful mean things. And you say, well, like I've been called worse, right? Like it doesn't matter. Like those things really don't phase me. Jess's experience being sexually assaulted by a student was disturbing, confusing, and upsetting. But what made it worse was when her administrator didn't feel a need to do anything about it. The student wasn't punished, and all the work of reporting it was put on Jessa. And her troubles didn't end there. Once the students saw what they could get away with, they just kept pushing. But one day, this group of boys started making, I have no other way to describe it, but imitating as though they were grabbing my breasts is exactly the gesture they were making towards me. 
And I thought, you've got to be kidding me, not again. And I just want to be very clear, I never dressed inappropriately for work. First of all, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, but as a professional, I never stepped out of the professional bounds of work attire. So they start making this gesture at me, and I'm, I'm like, restorative practices. I'm going to bring these ninth grade boys into the hallway one at a time and make sure they understand this is not a joke. This is sexual harassment. We had this great conversation. I'm like, wonderful, like high five to myself. We're 